Hello and welcome to Diaphoria. I'm Dracos, back this week, joined by Cajal and Isaiah. Hello. It's uh, Kobe's turn to sit one out. We're, 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 we're. You could not sound less enthusiastic about I'm this. Next. Hi. Hello. Well, my coffee hasn't kicked I'm in Dracos. yet, so you're gonna have to bear with me. You saw those quarterfinals. <laughs> what do you want me to? What do you want me to come in I'm like? Here for Euphoria. I watched. My, oh, my favorite people <laughs> and my favorite players die this Get week. Slammed. And I'm fucking, I feel alive now. That's what does it for me. Is that how you want me to open the show? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like That's that. what does it for yeah. me. Watching dreams of Western players die on the Western podcast. Well, then this weekend was a banger Woo! for you. Um, it was. Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast, we're here. It's the same thing at all. We're looking forward. We're looking back. It's kind of the thing. I just learned <laughs> that my screen is touchscreen. Oh, my God. How crazy Mark. is that? So, for context, before we were starting this episode, because I'm just going to... I need to take this opportunity to roast you, because people well, have gotten used to the Malzahar things. Cadrol spent, like, five minutes pitching us live foria, a live, <laughs> a live version of Euphoria and the live Dive. Foria. How cool is that? Without realizing that the Dive Live has been an ongoing thing for, for years. For <laughs> years. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know. I thought I'd just correct the code, man. Dive like, Foria, Live wait, Foria. There would be fans. They could ask you questions. I'm like, yeah, yeah. we did that. He's like, yeah, yeah. Wait, you on did? a stage? <laughs> you did that? Watch the With video. fans? He's like, there are no fans shows. here. He's like, oh, wait, there's a fan. <laughs> it just goes to show the great minds think alike. <laughs> there you go. Change my mind. <laughs> okay, and we're going to be talking about $5 squirrel fiber montages for cod headshots. We're going to be talking about a lot <laughs> That's of things. so funny. It's a loose, if, if you're wondering why, we're, we're, we're getting back into the swing of things. We're getting back yeah. into the podcast vibe. Uh, and if you did watch last week's quarterfinals, you know that we have to find joy in something. Because uh, as a Western fan, it was a hard, hard week. But let's let's start talking about the quarterfinals. I think let's end on the disappointing Western ones, and we can do our like our tearful goodbyes to our our brothers that have been sent brother. home. Our brother, um, brothers <laughs> that have been sent home. Uh, we have interviews coming up with Mac as well as with Vulcan. But let's start with probably the easiest one to talk about: um, T1 versus Hama Life Esports. My God. Uh, uh, you can just say one thing and it sums up the series, right? <laughs> Willer was 0-12-1 in three games. <laughs> my man got one assist in three games. <laughs> oh my God. It was a jungle diff, I'd say, yeah. It was rough. This has to be a hand, like... Also, yeah. more analytical comment rather than just kind sure. of taking one assist and saying lul. Um, I think Hamalife's drafts were terrible. They had like three losing lanes in almost every game. Um, and they kind of got outscaled in most of those games as well. Like they were picking LeBlanc into Lissandra. Their top matchups were not even favorable for them. They were playing Braum lanes into Thresh. They were playing Leona lanes into Braum and stuff like this. So yeah. I really think that every single one of those drafts, Hamalife was kind of losing out. The only thing they sometimes had was a winning jungle matchup in 1v1 isolation. But even then, it wasn't even that much value, I think. Yeah, I mean, this one just seemed uh, not close across the board, right? It didn't feel close in draft. It didn't feel close in gameplay. Um, it just felt like T1 was so clearly like an entire tier above them. You know, obviously, like Willard didn't have a good series. Morgan, I don't think, looked look good either. I just think it was was really, really rough. Chovy couldn't really get anything going. Like, there was some... He, he, he was laning pretty well. Like, he was actually pressuring Faker, you know, with the LeBlanc, um, you know, making a base over and over on Lissandra and everything. But it was like never a, enough he could never actually like get kills or snowball a game or, or really get anything going and it was just one of those series that didn't feel like han was ever really able to get a foot in right and yeah. and as you said almost all their comps felt like they had to win early or they had no chance and in none of the games did they really win early so it was mm -hmm. like 
you would have to be like 5k ahead to do something and you're behind instead so yeah so it wasn't leon it was nautilus they play in the brown but they're playing they're against aphelios like agumiushi got aphelios three games in a row this man has got i don't know how many numbers but he's had like 10 aphelios games in a row or something so i think it's going to be banned out when if that one don't ban aphelios i'm going to be mind blown in that semi-finals but um yeah you're playing leblanc renix in two games into things like Lissandra. Oh, the Renekton game was a shocker. And on top of the thing, like Chovy, Chovy has to carry, right? You're playing LeBlanc um, two games in a row against Lissandra, Poppy, Thresh, Aphelios. Like, it's so hard to actually solo carry a game when they have so many things to negate you're, you're engaged. Wasn't the Renekton fifth pick red side into like Poppy, Lissandra, Braum and stuff as well? Uh, yeah, fifth two, pick red side. Fifth pick blue, blue side. side. Two, blue side uh, two games, games in a row. And the oh, worst okay. thing is they it played. It was both blue side. Yeah, yeah. I, but game two it was into Gwen as an answer to Gwen. Game three it was finally actually a blind pick. But like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're playing Renekton as a jungle myself, right? If if my top laner is playing Renekton, I have to play Xin Zhao with Renekton and Olaf with Renekton into like Nar and Gwen. These guys just go Tabi's first item, or they go uh, some kind of armor item, or they have too much mobility that you're playing really low setup on top of the Renekton nerfs which Renekton is just so weak now yeah, but it's, it's getting reverted they reverted the W change on okay. 11.22 I think they reverted all the Renekton sun changes so well, maybe not back. for worlds HLE are playing in the future yeah. boys they're, they're bad now but if they would just zoomed forward two months this would have been a winning draft I just think basically every time Renekton came out this time at worlds I was like oh you actually don't have anything you can pick yeah like you just have nothing left and you played Renekton all year it's comfort and right? you don't know what to pick so you just picked Renekton yeah. but it just seems so garbage right now like it's there there was I think oh, I'm trying to remember there's one group stage Renekton game that actually went really well uh, I think it might have even been against one of the NA teams um, mm, I, can I, I, I can't I can't recall exactly but I know, I know there there has been like a good game or two but it just feels like such a weak pick it was it feels, Rascal Genji versus Cloud9 yeah, yeah. it wasn't it won 2-6 on Renekton it was not bad um, but I just remember the laning phase went really well for him uh, it went a lot better than I expected but mm. in general like he hasn't been bullying lanes struggles to actually you know team fight into a lot of the champions that are being picked right now um, and and it just feels like it's so weak in in the current meta that people that are getting pushed down like i felt like quarterfinals in, in general um champion pools were kind of exposed in a number of series it felt like that big time in the hanwha series it felt like that big time in the rng edg series obviously with crying um and there was there was a couple, a couple of other examples as well where it was just like oh you actually just don't really have anything uh, left it felt you know that that was a, a problem as well for for armut i think you know mm -hmm. against dom one um and it just like we're getting to the level in the tournament where if you do not have like the best possible draft you're not going to have a chance against some of these teams right like you're just not set up for success um and some of the teams that are remaining in the tournament are just so damn good that it, it made it look one-sided i think in a, in a number of cases mm. yeah i think though in this series it was like it wasn't just that the draft was like a little unoptimized. Yeah. It was just bad. It right? was and I think yeah. you're again, I think that like comfort obviously was a lot of the mindset here. It felt like a lot of the mindset here from an outside perspective from HLE, but like their comfort picks just aren't strong weren't anymore. Very good. You yeah. Know? I think all of their comms had single target damage, right? LeBlanc, Olaf, Renekton, LeBlanc, Zinzao, Renekton, Zoe, Zinzao, Aurelia. These are single target damage, snowball early game champs, right? And the thing that I know we talked about draft a lot, but the thing that annoyed me two games in a row was Deft played Poke Varus two games in a row, which is not really meta right now. Um, but the worst thing is he rushed Serpent's Fang first item. And I know it has good gold value, but when you're playing against the comps that he was playing against, the only shields they had was a poppy passive in one game and, and like a Philios, Guardian or something. Yeah, and a Philios was shield by two games. Like the the item itself, it's it is gold efficient, but 
it really did not make sense whatsoever in the in the in the games and um Wait, is it gold cues, efficient it used to be gold efficient they literally nerfed it before world stats wise i believe stats wise I think it's and still pretty good stats wise and the gold cost it is somewhat efficient i mean i think it also depends on what you're playing against of course because it's a very contextual yeah. item um but also deaths varus some in one herald fight he queued backwards he could have killed kana he was autoing he queued backwards by accident kana got out and then yeah i, I didn't like the poke varus at all uh, in that series yeah i mean i think there was it was weird. This was a little bit of an anticlimactic quarterfinal. I think this is going to happen, though, when you have teams who have played each other domestically and there was such a clear discrepancy. Because even yeah. if we go back to the five-game series that they played, like there was still clear for the majority of it that T1 was just a better team. There were just a couple games where Chovy did get to pop off and carry, where Chovy really did, you know, I think on one of those Silas games, just take complete control. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Because coming, coming into this, I, I will say, I thought it was going to be a T1 stomp. Um, but I know like the, the LCK casters were, were like pretty, pretty hyped up actually for, for HLE they, they were thinking, Hey, like, you know, people are, are really underestimating them. Um, you know, and, and given the context of, of the close series in the LCK and given mm -hmm. the context of, of how they thought they were playing pretty well at worlds and everything. Um, but it did feel like, you know, T1 has stepped up from, from where they were playing in the LCK, which I think is also like, we'll get there later, but why people are more excited potentially for, for the Dom1 T1 series. Um, but yeah, I mean, T1 is, is I, I believe the best early game team at the tournament. And, you know, they, if, if you have poor, like poor drafts against them and your draft has to win early against them, you're just, it just feels so doomed, right? It feels like, like their holes are more in, in the mid and late game stages and to, to draft for late game and survive against them is incredibly hard. And, and most teams can't do that either because if you go late game, then they can just blast you early, right? So yeah. I do think it's going to take a, an incredible team to beat them. And that's kind of how they got beaten in the finals by Dom one. Obviously, HLE couldn't replicate that. Couldn't even come close to replicating that. So... I just checked the servants ranking because it was just stuck in my mind. So I think it was gold efficient until 11.17 when they removed six lethality off it. So now it's only 76% gold efficient. But I still think it's a decent item, especially for uh, lethality users. In but why not just shield. go Ghostblade first then? Yeah. yeah. Right? If you if you want to go lethality, Ghostblade is, is such a strong item right now. It is it is more expensive, but, yeah. Def, but still. Deft also went to wit's end. Uh, was it the, yeah, the IE Kaiso at wit's end? Didn't with 40% crit. With 40% crit to not actually activate the 6%. Yeah. There was a lot of item question marks. I'm sure LS was like probably molding about it, which <laughs> I would be doing the same thing. Like, what is this, man? Well, it's one of those things where it's like, do I think it actually changed the outcome of the series? Not at all. No. But do I think that this is, this is one of those things where it's like, it's a freebie to get right. It should be yeah. optimized. It's actually so easy to get some of these things right. There are some where I'm like, eh, it's kind of like the, you could see yeah, either yeah, side yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. right? You know, it's like, oh, he went hurricane, but I think PD could have been better because like, maybe single target damage would have been more. It's like, well, I could see you, sure. you're kind of like looking at it a different way. Um, but, you know, in some of these cases, it's it's definitely just like wrong. Yeah, I think that there's there's the niche cases where you're talking about like, oh, you know, this item might encourage you. Like you, you can make an argument. You can like always be like, okay, well, this is what they're thinking with this item. Yeah. This is what they want to do. Like collector versus Lord Dominic. It's like, yeah, the math might be there, but like, okay, he's only worried about the squishies. He's not worried about hitting and, and even with that, it's actually not really there until a certain point, right? Sure, like yeah. LDR is better at three items, yep. but like against all, in almost all cases, you know, it's better at like, even, even if an AD carry has, has tabbies, I do believe like freak was, was, was going over some of the math with me that two items collector is still like more powerful, right? So yeah. if you're trying to have an early spike or you feel that being more powerful early and you're trying to stack dragons or you can like win extra fights and get more gold to like make up for mm -hmm. that later on, then like that can make sense. Right. Yeah. I know people are really on the LDR side of that, but there is some logic here. Um, but like 40% crit IE build, 
There's no yeah, logic. Yeah, exactly. 40% right? crit, IE build. Serpent's Fang against Serpent's a team Fang with no, no shields. shields. There's like, no logic. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, healing reduction against no healing. Like, there's just, sometimes there's just going to be... Yeah, the Oblivion Orbs that just randomly pop up every now and then. Yeah, like, also uh, like... egregious. Or the, the, or the, those or the... are like, you're taking the math exam, and you get a point for signing your name at the top, and you spelled your name wrong. Yeah. So you don't even get that point. <laughs> you know? Like, that's, that's the one where it's like, that's the freebie! Come on! <laughs> I see you're... Uh, uh, Daniel, he spelled your name Dunnel. <laughs> oh, that's your paper. Sorry, I thought there was someone in the class named Dunnel. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. So I'm going to dock a point for that because that was a pain in the ass. Uh, and with the docking point, you're at negative points. Yeah. It's also hard because you like, I don't know, like I thought that like if anyone was going to step up in this tournament alongside Chovy, it'd be Deft. And you know, Deft had some really great games in the group stage and obviously didn't really get a chance here. Uh, I think Gumiushi just popped off like he didn't really t1's bot lane is cracked t1's bot lane is t1's bot lane is absolutely cracked <laughs> but yeah it's always sad when i'm like man i love deft oh deft having a great group stage game and then he just does something egregiously dumb and i was like but it doesn't take away from like his hands are really good no like, his he, hands are really it's just the shop it's yeah. for whatever reason when when, his, when he pushes the hot key for shop whatever he has bound that to his hands get real bad for like five seconds yeah. and then they're right back to being you know mm. golden mm. Yeah, yeah i think the two virus games were just meh and the, the mf game was fine um yeah. but uh yeah deft was the one who had to step next to trophy but the top side was just it, it yeah. was unplayable we yeah how about uh, RNG EDG? I think good call. Yeah. Let's... So what's up with your boy uh, crying over there? You know, Mr. RNG going to be world champion. Oh, RNG world champion. You know, oh, everyone was doubting the... me in my oh, EDG pick. Oh. Look, I said he look, was going to get mid-gaffed. Look, so I'm a bit of a, uh, a cheater. Okay. So what I did was when it said, uh, put your, what is it? The crystal ball pick. I have, you know, quite a few accounts. So I used two accounts. <laughs> one of them I put RNG, one of them with damn one. Because the, okay, so the reason that I was so defensive on damn one <laughs> on RNG was because Karina had a dream. My my sister had a dream that RNG win worlds, and then RNG I tweeted it, and then RNG tweeted at her, "If we win worlds, we'll send you a custom pillow." And I thought, dude, I'm on the RNG train. Like they just bought me. I'm I'm on it. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. What? Is but I also now? thought that they were really uh, good. It uh, only uh, takes a, a pillow to, to uh, for, that, for Kato well, to we're sell, not, we're sell out you, his morals. We're watching you unravel all of your no, integrity. No, no, no. Let me finish. And then I saw the playoffs against Energy, and I actually thought they were a good team. So I was like, put the two and two together, it'll work. But I didn't expect. Wait, 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 wait I'm sorry. We just you spent 45 seconds explaining your dream and your pillow, and yep. two seconds going in. Then I said playoffs, and I actually thought they were a good team. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, what yeah, is yeah. This? So, so I, was, I did my review on the LNG series, and I thought that there was a chance, you know. And I thought that they were really good. So I thought they were really good, and I thought the pillow, and then boom, I'm on the I'm on the train. That's all it takes, got right? It, got it, got it, got it. And then I saw crying, mm -hmm. averaging five to six CS per minute. <laughs> At 140 CS in 28 minutes. He's yeah. just absolutely he's cruising. Two, he's two, <laughs> he's 200 chilling. CS down on Gary against Azir. Cry, hit me up if you want a duo. Those are no, acceptable numbers in my ELO. Dracos, listen, 200 CS down. <laughs> this is not Flame Horizon. This is like Charizard Flamethrower Horizon, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> this is the cry, what is happening cry in Horizon. Horizon. Then he picked Orianna. I'm sorry that I keep going on crying, but then he picks Orianna and these shockwaves almost hit me. Like... <laughs> the bot fight shockwave was you're literally we're literally hiding behind I the thought, desk I thought after game one they would win you know he's playing Rise he did yeah. a good job not a bad game pretty clean game by RNG and then all fell apart the Annies and then the, 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 the Malzahars and well the Malzahar was Scout oh the Malzahars the Annie matchups and the Galio matchups yeah. like, I came into this series thinking TF Silas Rise LeBlanc you know and then I learned that RNG kind of had to ban TF Rise yeah, LeBlanc and stuff like this. So um, EDG banning in TF as well. 
uh, it are, was a wild series. I guess my follow-up question to you is, are you sad about this pillow? You're not getting this. Are you? Yeah, I wanted this pillow, man. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. Maybe it's like a massive... Well, it wasn't even him. It was his girlfriend that was going to get it. Well, this, she was going to receive it. She's going to sign for it. Yeah, she's going to sign for it. It's going to come to her name on the address. <laughs> But that's all it's that's all I'm it's getting. I'm looking forward to this. If you're next year for Worlds Predictions, you're not like fully in astrology, like actual, like <laughs> you're going, you're like, listen to me, I got my crystals, the Mercury's Dude. in retrograde, we're approaching the solstice. If EDG don't win Worlds. <laughs> you know what I learned from this Worlds? As my first Worlds an analyst, if you predict something, predict the opposite, especially in Pickums. <laughs> Like the Pickums were just my Pickums were a horror, man. What happened with the FPX? Wait, and then, I'm sorry. What? Okay, I, we're going to talk. So you're about trying this to series. just cover both your bases? No, no, no. I'm saying your 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 moral your stage, story is hedge your bets. Group stage Pickums. You <laughs> yeah. take you take your favorites to get out of the group, and then you swap one out all the time, and you have a higher chance of getting good Pickums. I mean, Pickums Pickums. You can pretty much just straight flip a coin, and you probably have as good a chance yeah. in a lot. Because of I remember I remember some. <laughs> Some people who got the pickums right, like most of their pickums right, are the people who didn't change the order of the automatic default pickums. <laughs> they just logged in well, and they forgot to change the orders. Uh, people, I saw well, this on Reddit almost, and I was like, almost everyone is doing horrible in pickums. <laughs> like, like I thought I was doing horrible in pickums, and I'm like top six percent of people or something. And I'm like, mm. I got so many wrong. <laughs> like everybody sucks. Everybody does suck. I mean, this year. This has been a world, oh, world, a weird world's year. And I'd say that's, it's definitely extended to in a world where every quarterfinal is a 3 0, except for the one where Annie is played. I was sure it was going to be t- uh, the. Annie's the, the only um, champion strong enough to take a game <laughs> in quarterfinals. Six, that's the takeaway here. <laughs> I was sure that the, the last series was going to be a 3 2, because you had, uh, in the order of schedule, you had 3 0, 3 2, 3 0, and then I thought the Demon might be 3 2. Yeah, I'm, I, my we analysis were, today sucks. It's just pure, like, astrology. Okay, kind let's of talk stuff about, I mean, on. Did we learn anything? Because RNG are dead now, well, so we don't have to sweat RNG, but did we learn anything about EDG in that series, really? I, I would say I, I thought that it was a pretty sloppy series. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually like a, a lot of mistakes, I thought, on both sides. Like There was obviously like the obvious draft stuff you can talk about with RNG, and I do think that ended up kind of being the reason that, that EDG won. They, you know, there was such an enormous mid-diff. Um, but I felt like... I felt like Viper was actually making a lot of mistakes. Um, when you think about like the, the Ezreal game the where he was game. like enormously ahead and he just like shifts into Annie and dies, like that was one game that they lost. Um, he, he actually had, he, he had number, mispositioned a number of times, I felt like, yeah. in that series. I was kind of disappointed with how he played. You know, I, I, I just like hold him in such high regard. I feel like throughout the year I've been like, wow, this is, this is for sure the best team fighting AD carry in the world. And I felt like he actually made a, a number of mistakes. You know, he didn't have a bad series by any means, but like I just kind of expect his his default to be flawless, and it didn't feel like that. Um, so yeah, I, I feel kind of less certain I think about EDG than I did prior to this series, especially because it's like, I mean, you're going in on crying, and I agree, but it's like they barely beat that team, right? And and that that is almost that. I mean, it it sounds like a joke, but it's it, it's know. concerning I, in a way because yeah. you're now going up against Genji. And I think BDD has been smurfing, like oh, actually yeah. playing the best League of Legends of his career, right? Like yeah. he is he is just playing incredible. And, you know, people will tell you that, yeah, he has these games in the LCK, but he doesn't do it consistently. Well, how consistent has he been at this point, right? It's it's actually every single game in group stages, he was just smurfing. He absolutely like completely gapped perks. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just like 
pretty much nine straight games now of him just absolutely smurfing at Worlds. And, and I feel like that that is um, somewhat concerning. Obviously, Genji and RNG are very different teams, um, but it's you're you're going up uh, against a team that just feels like they're they're in much better form, right? Mm. And I felt like a lot of EDG's advantages were gained through mid through jungle. Um, and I feel like BDD and Clit are playing really really well. So um, the main takeaways for me were just more like uh, I actually have some concerns about EDG. Everyone was kind of just memeing on RNG, and I'm like, well, you barely got by them. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the, the the interesting thing to me is if you look at um, stats, one specific stat of this tournament so far is damage share, right? And yep. damage share doesn't tell a lot in the context, right? Because you could be playing Ezreal or whatever. But in this context, I feel like the outlier is top lane because if you look at Damwon, Khan's damage share in Damwon is thirty one percent, right? You look at T one, Khan's damage share in T one is thirty percent. Flandre's damage share is 30%. Like these top laners are doing the most damage on their team by far because they're playing Graves and Jace. And I think Flandre had a bit of an up and down series. I think he played like four games of Graves in a row. Some of them he was absolutely unkillable on side lane uh, and others he was running it a little bit. Um, but top lane is just so interesting to me because it feels like top lane is where everyone's focusing, but it's the opposite for Genji. It's just mid. Only mid, BDD yep. has like the by far highest damage share of his team. He is doing everything he can. Yes, he's playing Zoe and stuff, but their win condition is quite clear and it's through mid and Genji have been struggling a lot on top lane, right? Rascal being subbed in, Burtle being subbed in. They didn't really know where the top lane really fits. Um, it kind of cleaned itself up a little bit in the Cloud9 series. Yeah. Still struggling a tiny bit, but against these teams, which are just such powerhouse top side focused teams, um, that's where I worry a little bit for Genji. It, I, I agree. I think that that is a concern, but like, to, to move it forward a little bit to the Cloud9 Gen G series, um, I did feel like they showed a, a little bit of a difference. They still do play like play heavily through mid, but I felt like BDD did such an incredible job of, of taking his advantage and removing fudge from the game. Right? You know, game one, um, you know, he pokes Perks low, hits a scatter on him, Clid's there, free Sonic Wave, first blood, great. Perks has to TP back to lane, immediate TP top. They dive Fudge. That was the Malphite game. You know, so Fudge gets dove early. He's already in Graves, so you're going to get pushed in. You have to be able to, like, survive that early push with the stacked wave to get your XP, get your levels, and then you're kind of just chilling in this matchup eventually. Yeah. Um, but instead, he gets dove. Then, again, he, he returns top. He's zoning him off the wave. Like, he moved top a lot of times. And even though there was games where, where Cloud9 got kills on BDD, he still was the one that was like first to move towards top. Like I think it was maybe it was game three um, where Cloud9 actually got like the early kills with I think it was like J4 or something. But anyway, they got early yeah. kills mid um, and I think BDD was playing Zoe that game. Yep, when they and invaded top side. Exactly. And like Perks gets the kill and they kill they kill BDD. But again, BDD's the top and absolutely ruining Fudge's life. Like I felt like Fudge could not play that series. Um, and he was playing Graves in that one. And so it was like, even with like with winning matchup, with losing matchup, I actually like Cloud9's drafts in most of those games. Yeah. I just felt like it was just BDD's world. Like he's just gonna, he's just gonna beat you no matter what you do. You give him freedom mid, he gets ahead, he ruins top lane. He gets behind, he somehow still ruins top lane and is not even down on farm. Like he was playing so damn well. And and yes, it's not, you know, to, to like defend perks a bit. It's obviously a team, a team thing, right? I think it was not just, oh, BDD is so much better than Perks 1v1, though I do think BDD played a lot better. Uh, it was it was more about like how BDD was working with his team, how he was actually working with Clid to create advantages. But then I was just really impressed by how they actually moved that advantage around the map because I just thought Fudge got absolutely destroyed and it was nothing to do with the 1v1. I think the important thing is Clid, like um, 
the first game when BDD is playing Aatrox, Clid is the one who's like really carrying that game. BDD just has to push into Yasuo and then Clid's always there to match any Yasuo ult or any kind of engage from C9. And that's his job. He either matches or he forces. And I think that in the first game he matched really well. BDD didn't have a huge carry performance, you know. He got caught out on side lane when they had Nash once and they couldn't push. He had like six kills participation out of 16 or whatever, so he wasn't doing a whole lot. But the Syndra game, he had like 15. Oh, it was game two that I was thinking of. Yeah, it wasn't it was game, game one. Malphite was game two, yeah. Yeah, Malphite was game two where he had like yep. 15 assists. Me. That yep. was the insane game where it was like just textbook stuff wasn't you know it, win didn't trade he do mid. all three lanes because i think wasn't his first tp bot even first tp kills? was top on a pink ward yeah, on their yeah, blue buff area the blue then buff, he dove top and then dive and then the second tp was probably bot um trying to remember all the TPs. but i think game two was like game one was average game two was incredible from bdd from just yeah. him and clid and how they played together Whoa. in the lane phase and then game three I can see why BDD struggled, right? They didn't know they split map top. They didn't see the late invade coming. They lost their red. Then he gets early ganked a lot, and then but he falls even, behind. even with but that, even then he, he stayed even plays. in farm, and and, and then they still destroyed the, Fudge. Yeah, they like, still found plays. That's the important thing, right? Yeah. Um, like Fudge had good picks. He just couldn't play in the series at all. And I, I mean, there was more issues than just this for Cloud Nine. Obviously, I think Vulcan had a had a, had a really poor series. Um, yeah. To be honest, I think that was a concern. And I think. I actually liked Cloud9's draft, especially game two. I, I loved that draft, but they just got they just got straight up outplayed. Genji yeah. was way better. Genji played better than I expected, and Cloud9 played, I think, I think worse. And yeah. it, and it's just culminated in like pretty pretty one sided. Even though the, there was two of those games that were very winnable. Game one was like literally burger flip at the Baron, and um, and BD gets or sorry, Clid gets the max range smite after Blood oh, kicked him away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like. If they get that, Cloud9 probably wins that game. And then game three, Cloud9 was like 4K ahead. And I just think they didn't execute properly. Like they had been giving up dragons to create a big goal lead, but then they never actually found a fight. And then Zven dies like three times in a row without using Flash and Gale Force and stuff. And like, so, I mean, it, it kind of fell apart. But um, yeah, I, th I thought Genji actually played really well. That's the important thing, I think. It's like BDD in that game three, maybe the lane phase wasn't insane, but the, the bubbles he was hitting on Sven on dragon fights, like there was one dragon fight where he hit a bubble. He took him to 40% HP and then he got finished off by the Rakan and the fight yep. was won from there. So he was hitting so many important things. Sven had quite a, a weak series, I have to say, uh, especially yeah. in that game three. Game one, I think Cloud9 could have won. They got Baron, they got an ace, they got Baron. They had good setup then they just overforced top, get caught and then Genji forced Nash. So I think I'm feeling really actually optimistic about Genji. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves for the semifinal, but one of the big things I was concerned about is that like you... When you're learning about these teams, you learn a lot about like the tendencies and the memes associated with them. Yeah. And one of them was like, obviously, this is a team who go towards comfort picks. It's something they've talked about in interviews, something that they're comfortable with. And the second game one, BGD pulled out the Aatrox and kind of like handled perks, handled the weird pick. All of Gen.G played super controlled early game, literally gave nothing to C9 when C9 were clearly set up to try to start taking over around level six, start like getting some of these bigger advantages. I was like... Oh shit! Like this, this is not. This is that was the moment where I was like really confident in Genji as a team. Because up mm -hmm. until that point, up until that, when I saw that draft first, I was like, oh for sure. Like if Genji, if if there was any draft that on paper should be super great against Genji, it's going to be something this explosive, something that can like throw them for a loop. Because they said themselves, BDD said themselves, they aren't a good team at reacting in the moment. They're very good at pre-plan. That's one of the strengths of Rascals. That's the thing that they're very good at. Their coaching staff is constantly roasting them. These guys are fucking brutal <laughs> behind the scenes. You guys need to be better at responding on the fly. And they did. They responded super well. They, they played that game out to perfection. The, well, well, I don't know about perfection. Well, not perfection. I, I, yeah, yeah so some the, the, er, the early game was good for them. Yeah, yeah. But... Cloud9, Cloud9 was down, I want to say, if, I, if my recollection is correct, like 3 or 4k early. Sure. And then Cloud9 actually got back to even off that ace and they get the Baron. Um, and that game basically just came down to smites to me. You know, it came it came down to the fact that, um, and you can you can argue like execution, of course, like had Blaver actually kicked 
uh, clit out, you know, a second earlier, then he's not enraged with smite and so on and so forth. So obviously there's there's that too. Um, but that was actually an incredibly close game. Um, and Cloud9 had their chances at it. So I am disappointed from like the LCS point of view of like, it's a 3-0 and I'm sure you guys feel very similarly about the Mad Series, which we'll get into. It's a 3-0, but I'm like, two of those games were so winnable. Two of those games actually favored our position in at least at a, at a point. Right. Um, and really failed to execute. And then in, in game two was not close at all. That was just a, a, that, blast. Was a stomp. that was an absolute turbo stomp, but it's funny. Cause like, I actually really loved the draft, but everything fell apart when mid lane fell apart and then top lane falls apart off that. Yeah. And I have to say smiting was like a huge thing in the quarterfinals, like the RNG EDG series. Oh yeah. Smite the double steals. Way. There was like one smite where the Baron like leveled up or healed for like a, fraction of an hp and then the smite didn't finish it someone stole it and there was so many baron flips oh, that if they went either way you know that game could have been won or, or whatever it's good for us as casters and for spectators it's like not good for it's it doesn't build confidence in the teams that are playing but it like always at least guarantees if teams are going to keep like coin flipping barons it guarantees potential comeback moments so all i'm saying is at this point we had three three o's in quarters if we get five games for the rest of the tournament but there's actually even though a lot of the flips come in i was talking to a few coaches about why there is this baron flip philosophy and it stems from the lpl where um if you think you're getting outscaled flipping baron is always in your favor if they have dragon advantage and you have to you're going to be forced to fight a dragon in a certain amount of time and you're going to have to walk into them who have a soul point it's worth flipping the baron um there was even games with the damon mad series where they're behind right damon is losing the game was it game two or game three? They were losing the game. They had a cannon. They had a Nazir. What did they do of anything? They force Nash when they're down like five, six K gold, right? Just flip it. If we get Baron, we can win. If we can't get Baron, we can lose. Just have to try and win the game, right? So there is a little bit of philosophy behind flipping the Baron because you're on like yeah. a timer in your head. Uh, but sometimes it just looks terrible uh, and other times it looks like a miraculous play for, which was the damn one for right? me it was more the winning team going for the baron flip less the i respect the losing team the team that's behind well if you think you're flip. getting outscaled to his point right so yeah, it's yeah. like like the way i've always looked at league of legends and i think this kind of like applies across the board with any risky decision is that you try to evaluate what your odds are to win the game at any given point and if the odds to win the game off of a risky play are higher than your current odds to win the game are aka i'm behind i think i have a 30 percent chance to win this game but we could actually have a true 50 50 play that's really good odds right and if you have a 10 percent chance to win the game and you get a 20 or 30 percent chance to win off of a play you just doubled or tripled your chances in the game so like it may look really stupid but to your point that can actually be a smart play where i will be critical though is on some on some of these flips i don't even think they're well executed like sometimes you know people talk about the baron 50 50 but it's like the the red side jungler is over the wall and you have you have some sort of support that like could go over the wall and try to like push them out or a top laner could try to go push them out and sometimes they don't even do that or like people aren't necessarily even like blocking a leasing queue like sometimes i do think that even in the the flip so to speak you could execute better and that's more where i get critical less less the idea of going for it itself uh, and the damn one one to me just was a standout for one big reason it wasn't that they were getting outscaled it was they're 6.5k gold down, right? And when you're 6.5k yeah. gold down, you don't have map control. If you don't have map control with a cannon, cannon can't flank because everything's warded, right? If you have control of the map as cannon, you can hide around on your own pinks. If they have control of the map, you have to TP flank with some Hail Mary ward. And even at that, at best, you can find an engage. So what do they do? They have some tempo top side, like five seconds of tempo top. They get some vision and then Khan just hides and then they just start Baron and they pray. If they can land this cannon ult, the game's won. If they can't, the game's lost, but they know that this play is the only way to save the game. And I just think that was just what this team was just 
just so good. Yeah, it, it, it's really impressive, but I'm also like from the Mad Lion side, and, and maybe we should finish on Cloud9 first before we get too into it, but like I'll just say it was sad because they kind of knew where Kenan was, and yeah. that, that to me was like, wow, the, Dom1 could not have done this better, but also if Arma just like A moved into the jungle yeah, just and, and just 1v1 the Kenan, you know, like I, I, was, I was saying that, you know, even during the cast, because it's just like, damn, that is one of those ones that like you will want back so badly, right? Yeah. Because that is a one game, um, I think of Arma just just one v ones the Kennen because Kennen cannot win the one v one against the Jace without ulting, and Damwon cannot win the the four v four without the Kennen ult, right? And that's kind of just the way it goes. Um, but those are those ones that hurt because then you're always like, ooh, well, like what would the series have looked like if we won this game? Mm. What would the series have looked like if Cloud Nine, you know, won that game? Flapper kicks out Clid a split second earlier, or Clid misses the smite, and they get that Baron, they win game one, like you know, is the mentality change? Does the draft yeah. change? Like, is it a completely different series? And you never get the answers to those yeah. questions, but I know like I have those uh, games that have haunted me in the past. I'm sure you have ones that haunt you. And I think these are going to be ones that uh, haunt some of these players. That's the beauty of League. It's just the what ifs, right? You know, the, what if this? The, what the, if the haunted players. Yeah. <laughs> that's the beauty of the game. You know, the what years ifs of trauma over what ifs. That's the beautiful part. Uh, that's the beautiful part. They'll never um, get over it. Unfortunate transition. We have an interview with Vulcan. Yep. Following his um, his t defeat, his the the 3 defeat, Genji versus Cloud9. Let's see what he had to say about Cloud9 and their their world's run. Thank you very much. I'm here with Falcon after uh, the last day of the quarterfinals here at the World Championship. Unfortunately, Cloud9 was not able to make it to the semifinals. Um, yeah, Vulcan, what are kind of your first thoughts about what went wrong for Cloud9 today? Everything. <laughs> it kind of feels like um, it's sad because I feel like there was. Chances for us in two of these games, game one and three, I think we were in some winning positions, but um, I think we all had like individual mistakes throughout the game. I think we didn't play too well as a team either. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of pinpoint something in particular that we messed up, especially since it's like so fresh, but yeah, um, yeah, I think a lot of things went wrong today. Mm -hmm. And I guess props to Genji because I didn't think they would show up this well, I guess. And they played a very good League of Legends today, so. Yeah, I think that surprised uh, a lot of people, right? Uh, I was also quite impressed um, with your draft overall and the choices that were made in game one because it seemed like uh, like the priorities were right, right? And Perks also commented with an earlier interview with me that the plan was there. Um, how much did how that first game ended up going? And I guess that you never really got to bring it home, even though you were at some points in a winning position. Did that kind of set the tone, unfortunately? Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe the, the series would have been a lot different if we win that game one. Um, we were kind of like clawing our way back. I did die level one, so it was like a bit of a... Yeah. We had to grind that one out. Happens. <laughs> uh, happens. Um, but yeah, I feel like... I played like shit, so... Yeah, I'm sad, I guess. Yeah, uh, of course. Um, do you want to stop the interview here? or, or no, you're good? Sad. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so what I would like to do is, I know it's difficult right now, um, but talk about kind of the big picture of the year, because I think we often very hard tunnel in on what's happened right now, right? And that's natural. But if you kind of look at what Cloud9 was able to do this year, you know, we were able to evolve, even making it to Worlds, and then making it out of the group of death. Mm -hmm. Those are all great things. How would you say you look back on the year as a whole, if you can? Well, I would say that this year was kind of a success. <laughs> yeah. um, in some some ways, it's hard to, I guess, see it like that right now. But I feel like once we split, um, we had some highs at MSI, taking on some of the best teams. 
and yeah, I think we had we had this insane day on the last day of group stage, getting out. So um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of highs for us, and <laughs> I'm sad right now, but I'm not sad on I guess how we played uh -huh. uh, throughout the year. So pretty happy about how we showed up um, in some of those moments, and. Yeah, I think we just have, I just have to kind of look back at the year. It was a very long year for us, starting from lock-in. It started earlier than usual years, going to MSI. We didn't have like much of breaks, right? So I think you'll do good to have a break finally and kind of just, yeah, internalize or look back at what things went wrong and just hoping for next year, just trying to find ways for me to be more consistent and try to have the highest level I can be for the longest amount of time, I guess, and yeah. uh, be back here next year and show better. Thank you so much for talking to me, uh, Vulcan. I really appreciate it. And back over to you. Thanks so much to Vulcan for doing a loser's interview. Always incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, shocks as well. Professional. Give him the opportunity to opt out. We always ask players. We're never like, you have to do this. It's never an obligation, especially in the context of a loser's interview. So um, shout out to him. Definitely a hard thing to do. Absolutely. And I always love hearing from Vulcan because he, he is a lot of the cloud nine guys are, are really good with the interviews because they're like very honest. They don't kind of give the like PR answers or, yeah. or whatever. Um, so I, I just like that, you know, he's, he's really kind of giving you some of what he's feeling. And it's a lot of what we were talking about, right? Um, you know, he was obviously very quick to say he had a poor series and, and he did. And that sucks because he is, you know, really, really strong support throughout most of the year. Um, but they still had some highs. And, and also him talking about kind of what we were just talking about. It's like the momentum in the series. You know, it is interesting because it always sounds like such a cop out or an excuse of like, yeah. ah, it could have gone very different if we had like won in this one moment. But it's true. There are so many tournaments that, um, you know, people can have a much better run like or and people forget about like this one like thing that, yeah, yeah. that had to happen where you have to get lucky early to, to even advance. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of it, right? It's like they already... They could have been in the same position in groups, you know, on the incredible run that they did have to make it out of their groups. Like all it would have taken is maybe one mistake here or there. Yeah. And it's really, it's impossible to say, you know, like butterfly effect, like you change one thing, how much changes, you know? But yeah, like, and maybe it's just a one three or whatever. Yeah, they, maybe, maybe it's, game one, maybe it's but, nothing, but you never know, right? And I think that yeah. it's totally reasonable when you're a player in that situation to ask yourself, so what if, even if it's not always productive, obviously, it's always reasonable to ask it because you don't know and no one's really ever going to know. And I think that it's just a shame that we didn't get to see uh, a closer series from C9 mm -hmm. because there were still close moments in the game. That was interesting. Interesting about this series, interesting about the Mad Lions series too, is there were a lot of moments where you're like, oh, this team is going, these teams are fighting, it's very close, it's very tense. You highlighted like past the early game in game one, C9 did a very good job coming back. But yeah, sadly, it wasn't there, wasn't there on the day. So all, now history will remember sadly 3-0. The context of the 3-0 may be somewhat missed. Yeah, momentum can be so important, I think. Um, especially... I think the the C9 Genji series was similar to the Dam One Mad series, where like yeah. the, the the number one game that stood out for me in the Mad series was Game Three because it looked like Mad Lions. Like first of all, they're playing Wukong Rakan, right? So you know that's Mad Lions the victor. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. second thing is they're 10k gold down, and then they win a Baron fight, get Baron, and all of a sudden they're almost even in gold, and there's a chance that they can yep. win the game. Um, that's classic Mad Lions. Yes, they were still down like four or five K gold, but you know, their team fighting comp was really good. There's a Syndra with Predator on the enemy team, like show me <laughs> I, I was surprised when he's playing Predator Syndra. I was like, is he, was that a misclick? Like, he didn't get anything from it. Yeah. Like, the whole game. <laughs> Maybe he thought like, yeah, let's just wrap this up. We're 2-0 up. I'm going to push in mid. 
I'll trade this guy to Infinity and then roam around the map. But he didn't even buy early boots. Uh, I can't actually remember off the top of my head. I, I do remember. He did not buy he early didn't. boots. He, he started like corrupting and then went back to base and bought a tier or Adorans or something. He didn't even buy boots. But game one, Showmaker <laughs> versus Humanoid on Syndra, like that guy did not miss a, a skill shot. Like yeah. his trades, Humanoid was 20% HP at level one. So maybe he thought like, yeah, I'm just gonna outtrade this guy, and then when I outtrade him, <laughs> who needs a keystone? First of all, I don't need I don't need my um my airy to outtrade him now, so I'm just gonna do that. And then after I outtrade him, I'm gonna run to side lanes and gank everyone with predator. So maybe that's the logic he had. But I mean, that one just looked like uh, yeah. I, I can see some logic if you think that you know because if you think okay, I'm playing against a victor, it's just gonna be about wave clear. We're not gonna interact, so like I don't actually need my keystone to trade because it's just gonna be like push yep. and roam, right? And if that's your read, then sure. I don't think it really did anything for him that game, but yeah, no, I think I think as as well as in this series, the three O doesn't really feel like it represents the series. Um, you know, game three was really impressive because it did feel like they had that comeback and then Matt hit that point where they had outscaled, right? Mm -hmm. Where they had, you know, you're like, okay, the gold actually doesn't matter anymore. You know, you have Victor, um, you know, they had Rakan. I can't, what was their AD? Uh, Ziggs. Ziggs was, oh, no, uh, they was they had MF. They had MF, yeah. Had so MF, it was sorry. like, yeah. they didn't, you know, Domwon didn't have a traditional AD carry, right? So crit scaling generally does kind of become pretty superior in late game. I mean, um, Humanoid was playing incredible on the Victor. Sure. Like he was like zoning out both the solos in many of the fights, just like hitting with the laser, dropping gravity field, hit some with the ultimate. Showmaker was barely able to play in a lot of those team fights. And so that that really did showcase some of their strengths. And, and they were very close, I think, in that final game um, to being able to actually like, truly come back and do it but i think the one that really hurts was was the 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 jace game um the one where they they do actually you know absolutely turbo stomp con early yeah and then end up losing that one because that one to me yes there was other mistakes prior um that could have also like helped them close out the game but that one to me really did just come down to like mad lions knows you mark the flanking member yeah. every good team in the world knows you mark the flanking member we even saw you know damwon do it when uh, in that third game when armut was in the inverse situation when he was on the wukong and he yep. was trying to flank like everyone knows to do this armut knows to do this but i just think that's one of those moments where the pressure got them a little bit and you know you kind of forgot your priorities and and that would that should have been a win for mad that really should have been a win for mad and then again maybe the series looks kind of different maybe it is just that one win but at least you're on the board then and like and that feels really good yeah and i think that matters in the context of a down one that is now nine zero in yeah. the context of worlds and very i mean obviously we're hoping for more from the t1 series but we could be in a situation where they have a single loss heading into finals obviously we don't want to jump ahead of ourselves but like this is a super dominant team and it would even if you don't win the series, a single win there means so much for Mad Series as well, given that I think you highlighted it earlier today before we came on the show. The only best of fives they've lost this year are to Dom 1 and yeah. MSI 1. Two, here the as only well. two best fives they've ever lost the entire year long is to, is to Dom 1, which yeah, it sucks. <laughs> but that series, I think two things I want to highlight Canyon's Leeson was, as a Leeson extraordinaire myself, that guy's Leeson was insane. He got three leasing games in a row, and I think the way he played was just fantastic in fights, especially. Like if you watch his fights, his pro view, or whatever you want to watch, the way he approaches fights is really important because he just he's just so patient, waiting for the right moment in that game too. Even though Khan got this massive ultimate, he yeah. just kind of stood there and then he found one small angle to get a really good Q kick into three people uh, and then start the fight, get an E, Gordrinker, Drinker, you know. Um, and then also Ghost. I think Ghost has kind of been that person where he's made, I think his only real bad game this, this, this tournament was against Rogue where he gets caught out mid three times and then they almost lose the game for it. And then the problem is once someone is attributed as a bad player, every bad game he has makes it like worse for him. Yeah. You know, so it's like that guy's bad. He has one bad game. Oh, I knew that guy was terrible. Um, 
and that's public section, right? But if he has like good games, it's hard to kind of give him credit Once because he has Showmaker, yet. he has Canyon, he has yeah. Khan. But if you look at this series, his Jin game was unreal. Like he was not missing ults. Like I think he had an incredible series. The Ziggs game, he had a couple mistakes, but overall, I think Ghost had a, had a great a great series. I was gonna say generally, like last time we saw these. Some of that perception probably comes from international fans who watched MSI when that yeah. bot lane did get absolutely bodied by yeah, the Lions. So many 2v2 kills. But this time around, they were much better. Not just Ghost, but also Barrel, I want to say. The Pike game, one of the reasons why I felt like that was such a clear mad win is because playing Pike mid to late game, and admittedly, there's not really point-and-click CC on the enemy team, but all Gregus has to do is body slam once, and that Pike is instantly dead. Yeah. Barrel was clean that game he did so much to make plays to force plays yeah and this is a guy who when they did win worlds was kind of just running to different lanes to help out solo laners and then at the msi run was kind of just running it in a lot of the early games so to see him step up in the context of a matchup where just three four months ago we saw him be a problem for the team but in this series i felt like it was going toe to toe with kaiser out playing you know, kaiser in kills. some context yeah 2v2 kills is like huge huge performance bump i feel like compared to what we saw at msi for the bot lane i also think kind of like uh, off what you're saying casual i always feel like perception lags pretty significantly behind reality right and i actually think that you know ghost ghost after coming back like after the, the crazy roster swap stuff and he had his time off he actually played much better in summer than he did in spring anyway um you know and yes admittedly in the first couple of games against mad he actually played pretty poorly him and barrel were dying a lot but people never talk about how like he, Ghost was actually playing really well in the last two games when Dom won Stomp Mad at, at MSI. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think that, you know, that was that was the weakness that people talked about because that was the weakness that they kind of had at MSI. And and he doesn't stand out on this team of like the literal best people in the world. So like, yeah, yeah that's hard. Um, but I, I do think he played he played a good series. I think you know, the Barrel's Pike game was was pretty incredible. Um, but Dom one is just outstanding, and and Leeson in general just like destroyed the Western teams this weekend because yeah. Clid Clid had the two Leeson games, Canyon had the three Leeson games back to back to back. Five out of the six like NAEU losses were just basically getting stumped by Leeson. I yeah. think I actually want to say, I mean, there there may be some series I'm forgetting, but I want to say this was like the most impressive set of Leeson games that I've seen, and especially the losing game, especially the game where they're actually way behind mm -hmm. and Calm was getting dominated. How he team fought, I felt like in I think it was game two, right? Where game they got two. where they got super behind yeah. was so impressive to me. Because it wasn't just about like, ah, oh, he gets a good kick, and he did get a good kick like every single time. But I actually felt like he played so well in pressuring Karzi in a lot of these situations where he would find a kick and then he would like find an angle to like cue onto someone and like ward hop onto Karzi and just like E him and just start like pushing him back. And he would always, always be able to actually use his, his life bar as this resource where he's pressuring the enemy carries until he's about to die, but he would never die. Like he would always get it right to the maximum and he's like, you know, and then safeguard and gore drinker and like jump back out and, and find these, these plays. There was even one play I want to say where it was like a mid lane play where he did this like ward hop kick. Um, but he like ward hopped into like three or four people to get like a gore drinker for like this massive heal yeah. and then did the kick and as a result barely survives because of it like he just had so many little things that i was like god damn like you actually play this perfectly every single time right yeah. like game one was like okay dom one's stomping and yeah you had a good lease in game game two was like oh your team's getting trashed but like why do you still look as OP as if you had 10 kills? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> Lee Sin's not supposed to it's, do this. It, it, sounds it, like my Lee Sin. Oh my <laughs> God. Please no, dude. Come on. <laughs> 
take it down. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I mean, you've He's got nuts. a good lease. I'm not trying to sell you short, no, no, but come no, on, that was not that, your that time. That guy's nuts. It's like when you know all the small intricacies of leasing, you just watch his fighting, you're like, <sighs> I mean, the thing to me is someone who doesn't know. I mean, I know a lot about it. Over the years, everyone's, I think, if you played League for long enough, you've gone through a lease-in phase. I, feel I mean, like we've all to. watched like a thousand lease-in games Yeah, as well. it's like the most, probably one of the most popular champs mm, yeah. of all time. Yeah. Um, I would think it's the most popular, but I'm sure that there's something that's snuck in there, obnoxious, that's been around like Oriana or something. Ori, LeBlanc, Lee, maybe like Gragas. Gragas was oh. there perma for years and years. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's just that feeling when you first start playing League and you play against someone who's better than you and you just feel like they do like they do more damage why does all their shit do more damage why do i never do more damage to them that's what i feel like pro players play feel like when they play against canyons leeson and it's just it's just nutty like it's crazy yeah. to watch someone be that good on that champion for context and like every other best of five in the in the best of fives between t1 and hle leeson is like a huge prio band so i wonder if like the western teams look back on it and go like Maybe we should like maybe we don't let the LCK and LPL teams play Lee Sin. Maybe but that's a learning. It's tough because it's also like there was all these other things that they have to be worried about. And True. if you and if you have a deficiency in champion pool, especially, then you end up having to use bands to cover yourself in certain areas. And it just felt like like I was looking at it and thinking, ah, like maybe you need to ban Lee Sin, but they also felt like they need to ban TF. Maybe you feel like you need to protect Armut in some way. Maybe like there's there's just a lot of champions right now. Um, and unless you can truly play like everything and you're not worried about it. And some of these teams like, were just like, okay, who cares about LeBlanc? Like Faker, who cares about LeBlanc? Cause I'm going to play Lissandra into it every time. Unless you yeah. have all these types of answers and your team is also comfortable playing all the different styles because you have to play a different style if you have Lissandra mid than if you have Victor mid or Oriana mid or whatever. Right. Um, then it's really hard, right? You just can't ban everything. And Lee Sin was one of those champions that people have played against so many times. So I think they're more comfortable letting it through, but also in the hands of like the best people. Uh, Peter Dunn, the like EG coach, tweeted this. And I just thought this was such a good description of Lee Sin that Lee Sin doesn't scale with like gold. He scales with with player skill. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually so true, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> this is this champion that doesn't fall off in the late game if you're good enough at it. Yeah, I think the thing that's it's it's I think it's such a good point because there's just so much that has to be banned. And the problem is, is Lee Sin just on paper, right, isn't objectively OP. His numbers have been hit consistently over the years. He's been adjusted, especially after the Conqueror Gold Drinker nerfs now. Con yeah, exactly. But on this patch, I think he is pretty strong. Yeah, he is very he's strong. really good. But yeah. they like nerf solo lane Lee Sin. You know, when solo lane was Lee Sin was strong, he's obviously just very strong. He's very ban worthy. But now we're at a point again where Lee Sin is strong because of the people who play him. But like, what was Mad banning? Because uh, there, there's so Aphelios, many things that people Graves, are worried about. TF. Yeah, people are worried about Graves. People are worried about Aphelios. People are worried about TF. People are worried about Aurelia. Yumi. People are worried, worried about Yumi, right? Like those, those like five that I just listed off already, most teams consider like super high prio bans. Yeah, and if, if, to be honest, outside of Aphelios, which getting I think banned, is like, getting banned. Aphelios, I think it feels more they subjective to me. Spend, but like, yeah, Aphelios, Graves, TF, basically every Twisted game. Fate, Graves, yeah. Yumi, LeBlanc, like, twist, yeah, like, these are all champions who I would probably ban before Lee Sin. So yeah, I don't even know what you would LeBlanc trade out, mm -hmm. right? Maybe the Graves ban, maybe, but Graves this, is on paper but then, way stronger. But then again, well, and also, like, Khan versus Ar Armut, right? Because Armut does, like, his laning phase, I, t I have always felt like that's that's been his weakness, right? And Khan has been yeah, so 100%. dominant, so it's like, can you afford to give that up if Armut doesn't have an answer to it or doesn't feel comfortable playing into it? It's yeah. really hard, right? It's so easy to look retroactively and be like, shouldn't have given that up, right? Yeah. But when players play like 50 scrims and they like get turbo stomped by a certain pick and they're just like, I do not want to play against this, right? Mm. Or maybe maybe they're okay playing against it, but the coach feels like, hey, we always lose when we play against this. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Oh, rough for Mad Lions. 
Similar to the Vulcan interview, we do have a Mac interview lined up. Let's see what Mac had to say after their uh, quarterfinal run. Thank you very much, Dracos. I'm here on the last day of the quarterfinals with Mac. Unfortunately, the Medlines weren't able to make it past Dom 1. Um, and now that we've had 24 hours, not even 24 hours, but a little <laughs> bit of time to think about it, Mac, how do you look back on everything on Worlds and I guess specifically that best of five? Uh, I think from, from yesterday's BO5, there are a lot of things that, uh, that I could have done and that we could have done differently. Um, I mean, no, um, I don't think there's any shame losing to Dam 1 per se. I mean, we've lost two best of fives this whole year. They've both been to Dam 1, which stings a bit. I would really like to have seen what we could do uh, against different opposition. I think, um, for example, game game two and game three, like I think against a lot of teams in the tournament, we would be able to close those games out actually. Uh, and game one, I feel pretty bad uh, personally because I think I messed up the draft quite a lot there. Um, yeah, I think uh, game two, like, there's there's a specific situation where like Damwon goes goes barren. It's the one where Kenan gets the flank right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh. like in that game we have like all of our carries on three items and all of their carries are on two, and the the amount of uh, confidence and poise uh, it takes for a team to force Baron there and find the engage on us there is really really high. And I, I think uh, there are very few teams in the world who are capable of of doing something like that. In Europe, we're normally the team that does that to other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it feels it feels a bit bad. So I guess I know how, how it feels uh, on the other end. And yeah, the same for um for game three. I think like Dan one, they did such an insane job at denying us the ability to come back into the game. You know, we had uh, like some some really good fights. We got the Baron, and then um like I think for example before like the final dragon of the game. Uh, if that's against any European team or the vast majority of teams, even in even in Worlds, I think I think we might win that game. But they're so good at, at setting up for objectives. They're so good at denying us TP flanks and engages and all of this stuff. So I mean, credit to them. They're amazing. Yeah, maybe I want to dive a little bit deeper in. Um... I hope I'm not offending you with this, but obviously you bring it up often, right? The fact that against other teams, against European teams, even I think in that LNG game that you played, right? To get out of groups, uh, you saw that you guys have gotten very comfortable in not necessarily winning the early game and knowing that you have superior decision-making in the mid game most of the time. Could it be that you've learned yourself some, taught yourself some bad behaviors and that of course against a team like Damwon and perhaps even some others in the best of five, that's, that's an issue? I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, I think, um, like, in, in League of Legends, it's very, very rare that you get, like, a, a perfect team, you know? And usually, the, as a team, the result of training into one bias means that you are losing out on another bias. You know, training yeah. is what's called a zero-sum game in mm -hmm. that regard, right? So, um, it might be that, you know, if we were way better in the early game, we would be worse in a lot of these comeback situations. And these comeback situations are what has, has made us such a good team. Um, definitely, I think we... I would say that we weren't pushed hard enough in Europe to be able to like to be forced to develop some of those habits. But of course, there's there's fault on on our end as well. Okay. For sure. Thank you for uh, being so candid about that. I know it's obviously not easy, but I appreciate you talking about that. And we're looking forward to the future of Mac, the Mad Lions, the coaches, the analyst team, everything. It was a pleasure covering you this entire year, uh, and I hope you get some well-deserved time off and are reinvigorated for next year. Thanks. All right, back over to you. I actually really loved uh, the answers and also the questions. So shout out to, to Shocks. I thought that Sorry. the question about, um, you know, like, are, are you are you learning the wrong things or are you, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like uh, ha forming bad habits through some of these, these answers? And and Mac's answer to that was amazing. But one thing I, I his interview really reminded me of was how well Barrel played at actually denying flanking wards 
uh, on that Pike game in particular. Like I was like mind blown by this. Like even when they were playing from advantage, he was always like if they're going to push top he's sweeping out every war like every brush behind he's using the umbral glaive he's dropping multiple pinks when his sweeper walk is his sweeper is actually expiring as well or he doesn't have umbral glaive to make sure that there was never opportunities for Arma to have a tp flank on wukong and i thought they did a better job at that than i've ever seen another team do like i, th I was mm. so impressed by how thorough they were every single time there's just never a war to TP to. And it's not because Matt didn't place it. It's because he checked freaking every yeah. single brush on the just whole goddamn map. map. <laughs> running around the map so fast on Pike. The, the, only, the one thing I wanted to bring up from the interview is the exact same thing as you just brought up. It's like when you drop. So from my experience of scrimming for like two years, what you basically do is you have set goals on each week, right? You start the week and you, you come off a game on the weekend or whatever it is. And you're like, yeah, we really sucked in early. Our one through one is terrible. Um, our, our objective setups suck, our team fights suck, and you spend that whole week with presentations, looking at other teams and how to do it. And as you go throughout the weeks, let's say week one, you're practicing team fighting, you're at week seven and you're practicing like one, four comps and how to team fight, or you're practicing one, three, one or side lane. It's been five weeks since you practice how to fight. So what happens is now six weeks later, five weeks later, your team fights get slowly worse. So you have to pick that up again and redo it. Um, so I can see what he means there by kind of putting time into certain aspects of the game to make sure that's where your strengths are because the more time you spend there the less time you spend on other things so you get weaker at it right it's logical but it's just something that uh, teams struggle with sometimes when you have to like put so much time in certain aspects of the game that's why you always tell solo queue players when they're trying to climb they're just one trick a champion just yeah. be good at that one thing focus on Mechanics, one thing don't worry variables. about anything else just yeah just make yeah, it as that, simple as possible for yourself so you can have that high ceiling and i mean yeah, yeah. it's it's really interesting too i mean it, it's tough because it's like you know, he, he talked about, hey, maybe we weren't pushed enough in the LEC, but also there's stuff on them. Like, obviously, you can always do sure. stuff different. There's always practice you could do different. Um, but it, it is really, really hard, I will say. You know, the LCK just seems on another level this year, right? Yeah, Coming in worlds um, better than expected from almost everyone. And it is really hard to beat teams that are at that higher level when you're when you're practicing against teams that aren't at the same level, right? Because yeah. Like if I if I play against Cajol, right, and I use one strategy and it's working every time against him, I'm like, okay, this is the best strategy. Then I play against you and like I'm bringing this out on a stage and you just slam it. And you, it's like, well, I didn't know that that could lose in that way or I didn't know yeah. that you could diffuse this strategy in this way, right? And when you're learning that stuff, in, in not in practice, but in these elimination games, um, that can be very, very difficult. Or even if you're learning at scrims at Worlds, well, now you're trying to condense eight years worth of learning into a couple of weeks. And that variable applies to everything, right? So yep. like lane matchups, 2v2s, jungle yeah. matchups, pathings, how you play the game, meta changes. And that variable applies every single time you try to dissect the Rubik's Cube. Someone comes along and just slaps it out of your hand. You know, oh, for God's sakes, I have to start from scratch again, you know? Um, it's like, yeah, a lot of teams come into tournaments with like this one pick, which is good. Like if, J if Jace blind picks good and you have a Wukong player and Wukong is not known as a, as a counter, then you come in and surprise him. Now they need to have an answer for Wukong, both in draft before blind picking Jace, for example, or if they want to make this matchup happen, how do they make it so it can work, you know? Yeah, and now are you gonna are you even willing to blind pick that? If you're not willing to blind pick that at all anymore, then do you have to ban it. that? Well, okay, now your mid laner has to know a different matchup because all of a sudden you can't ban LeBlanc anymore. And okay, well you gotta learn a whole new champion top because now they ban the Jason. You know how you know it's yeah. like all this stuff changes and there's such a, a knock on effect with it. So I, I, I love the answer from from uh, Mac. I do too. And I think it's always something that you're gonna have um, in the case of Mad Lions, they're clearly the number one team in the OEC by a by a pretty wide margin right and i think that's always the burden i think that one of the things that helped make g2 so successful in the past was that when they were good even when they were very good and they were beating everyone when they really really showed up um 
in 2019 Worlds, they were very competitive with Fnatic in the summer. Yeah. It was very tight top of the table. And I think the best thing for any region is to have insanely, insanely close domestic competition, which is also part of the reason why I'm surprised that all of the LCK is doing so good. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you expect Dom Juan Kia to be kind of this, um, this gap above because they were mostly domestically uncontested. You know, they're role yeah. swapping. They're still blowing things up. But, like, it feels like that doesn't mean that the rest of the league isn't going to be good. It usually just means this team is so much, so much, so much better. But I just feel like all of the LCK came out swinging, which I was just, I, I think is highlighted, which we're absolutely not prepared for. Now we are in a situation heading into semifinals. Three of four teams are from the LCK. I didn't expect to be here at all for the tournament. Yeah, yeah. I thought it would be Dom 1 and a bunch of LPL teams, if I'm honest. 17 Korean players in the semis out of 20, if you don't include subs. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is like, you know, everyone loves to roast NA for imports, and we have a lot of imports. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. But <laughs> but Korea, there's Koreans in like, all kinds of leagues, right? You know, yeah. like there's Koreans in the LGL, AJL team. There's Koreans TCL. in the Brazilian leagues. There's Koreans in the Turkish leagues. There's Koreans, like traditionally, most of the successful LPL teams had Korean solo laners. All and and that, no, well, not Sooning. So that, that trend oh, was I bucked. I was just thinking of championship winners. Yeah, yeah. but that, that trend was bucked a little bit last year, to be fair to them, because um, the top LPL teams at Worlds last year weren't dependent on that. But yeah, Rookie, Shy, like, guess what? Like a lot of these guys, Don't Be, et cetera, right? There's a a lot of these guys, um, we're all Koreans, right? And that's that's where so much talent has come from, even in the LPL, where they have like 40 times as many players as we do, (laughs) and and then 18-team league, and then an 18-team, you know, semi-pro or whatever you want to call it, academy league, and then also the development leagues below that with like a million teams. And that's what I'm so hyped. The Korean matchup is what I'm so hyped for in the LPL versus LCK game, where you've got EDG versus Genji. To me, the most hyped matchups is mid lane, where you've got Scout versus BDD, which I'm super excited for, specifically on draft if we get more into it. And mm-hmm. then bot lane, like Ruler versus Viper. That just on paper, Ruler versus crazy, Viper just yeah. sounds really fun to me. So those are my two favorite matchups. I mean, let's talk semi. about this matchup then. Because I mean, this is this is crazy to me. Because I think on paper, coming into it, there are some similarities in style. EDG have been looked at, at least coming into this tournament, as the more controlled LPL team. They build a lot of advantages and then they kind of, they play a much more slower controlled game. Genji are the team that was good in the early game, but fumbled frequently in mid, mid lane. Kind of like an LCK rogue, if you're not super familiar with the LCK, similar kind of memes. We could probably make a Genji time meme mm. if we really wanted to force it. But now... I mean, very EDG, a little bit of a lackluster performance. Genji, very dominant, but clearly still holes in the game. Where's what your head at? I think that just starting from draft, I think EDG is actually favored quite heavily in draft because Genji's first station bans, I think, from my perspective, are going to be very one-dimensional unless they, you know, just leave everything open. If you look at EDG, everyone bans LeBlanc TF versus EDG. And Flandre had some good Graves games and he played four games of Graves. Mm-hmm. And Genji are always banning LeBlanc TF because BDD doesn't want to play them. Also banning Ryze. So I think they're very, very um, kind of handicapped by their draft going into the first game, especially in that series. So I expect Genji's bans to just blue or red side, just be like LeBlanc TF Ryze or LeBlanc TF Graves. And from there, EDG can just kind of pick them apart in early rotations. Genji obviously will early rotate mid, I expect. Otherwise, BDD is going to get heavily banned out going into 4-5. Um, so it's not the end of the world. I just think that straight off the bat, uh, EDG is, is more favored. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that BDD has been playing incredibly well, but I also am just so impressed by by not only how well Scout plays, but also how flexible he is as a player, right? And obviously, like, he was a core component of, well, everyone's kind of laughing at FPX now, but, like, of taking down FPX in the finals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when when Doombi was looking like the best player in the world, was looking absolutely unstoppable, you know, was on this incredible form. A lot of that was to do with Scout. Um, and I, and I, I do wonder, 
because obviously Cloud9 couldn't do it, but EDG is, is at a higher level. Like no one in groups could really do it, but it's like, can you actually punish BDD's champion pool at all here? You know, is is Scout the player to do it? Because I do think that EDG have shown the ability to like craft these game plans around mid where they really want to punish champion pools, where they come up with unique picks. They try to do these sort of things. Um, the Malzahar obviously didn't work in their series against RNG, but like they are willing to do many different styles mid. And a, a lot of the weaknesses that they have in pick ban like you're talking about Kedril, you know, if, if they want to target BDD is a, a bit as well, it feels like they have a much wider champion pool. Yeah. I also do feel like, like Fondra has, has had a, a better tournament than, than Rascal or Bertle. Like, I, I think that like that is another area in which, in which they're favored. Um, but it's, it's going to be really, really interesting because if you can't stop BDD and he actually just continues to play this well, despite everything, then I, th I think Genji are obviously going to have their chances because yeah, I still do favor probably EDG's bot lane a bit, but like Ruler can team fight just as well as, as, as Viper. Um, I think that, you know, Clid has been playing incredibly well, largely also. So it's, it doesn't feel like there's a huge difference there between him and, and JJ, who I think also had a good series. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like I, I do feel like I favor EDG cause I feel like they're a more complete team mm -hmm. and I feel like they have advantages and pick ban, like you were highlighting, but I'm really excited for this series. I think it could could be close. I just hope that BD can continue playing at the level that he has been because I think if he does, Genji will be competitive for sure. Yeah, and I think that is the big thing though is that we're kind of we're basing, or at least in my eyes, because I I'm in the same boat that you guys are on. But part the main thing for me, the reason why I expect to be so competitive is the recent form of BDD of Clid. Because yeah. domestically, I think you know they had good moments, but there's a lot of moments where they're super underwhelming. And I think it's this this tournament and specifically in the quarterfinals in that kind of week two of groups where I was like, wow, these guys are actually like doing really well not just on the comfort picks not just in the memes not just in like you know the mid games but not like just action, in the memes yeah not, not just in like oh the early game that we know it is and oh he's gonna pick his ear you know that's what he knows like they played well across the board and super consistently regardless of the champions that they had and i think that is that's huge going into the series but it's still it's like viper mako yes they haven't had a perfect tournament so far but like coming into the tournament strongest bot lane in the world the way that we looked at them and while ruler is you know former world champion he's got a ton of accolades behind his name not a lot domestically but obviously he's always done pretty well internationally like i still think that like viper easily goes toe to toe and i think mako when mako's playing well is like out of this world so to me it's like if i think edg is going to lose it's a lot about form on the day and a lot of that sloppiness that we saw but if both teams even come in at the peak strength the highest highs we've seen them edg to me are just a cut above and there's a lot of interesting things to me about this series because we talked about at the start of the tournament how the meta comes in and you have graves tops yumis and stuff and then by the time it gets to semis and finals sometimes teams just go back to comfort and mako in the in the rng series played five games of range support he played three games of yumi a game of lulu and a game of nami right and i think this player looks a little bit night and day when he's on engage support so i think that um, when Genji's up against them, Life's Rakan has been a standout performer. So when I say that Genji have to ban out a lot of mid laners, I feel like maybe EDG might get targeted on support or might target support themselves to get a good support matchup. Because I, I like the fact they're playing Ezreal, Yumi lane, and I like the Lucian Namis and stuff. But if you look at Comfort and Mako for the whole LPL playoffs, he's playing Alistar like, as his most played and stuff, Rel. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's interesting dynamics in bot lane where you can give one of the supports a range support and then pick a melee, get pushed in, and but be first to top side, right? And be better in skirmishes. So uh, support and mid, uh, so, well, mid and bot lane is kind of where I'm looking at for this series. It's it's really interesting because, you know, I, I think that like a, a lot of the range support stuff was was the respect that EDG was showing to RNG bot lane um, because I do think RNG's bot lane and EDG's bot lane, those were kind of known as the two best in the LPL. Sure, absolutely. Um, and when you, look at, when you look at that quarterfinal, it basically felt to me like whoever picked support second one one bot right and that was basically like every game 
Um, and I and I do think that if they are concerned about ruler, they're going to go into it with the same same type of strategy, right? They're willing to pick support late. They are willing to pick range support matchups to actually win these 2v2s early and to use that to snowball the game. And they did that very effectively, I think, against RNG, which is also a really incredible bot lane. Obviously, um, you know, Gala is really, really good. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it, it's going to be really interesting. And I do think that it's like, as we're getting further and further, any one player on your team that is a weakness as far as champion pool affects the rest of the map so much because yeah. you have to spend bands and you have to early pick to protect that player. And then that exposes other members on the map, right? So even if on paper, like, oh, Ruler versus Viper should be kind of even, if you have to like early pick BDD or you have to, you know, do something, you know, to, to, to ban out some of the stuff that Scout's going to do or ban out some of the things that Flandre is going to do or you're concerned about these other areas, then that can expose your bot lane and allow uh, EDG to get a preferential bot lane matchup, which is like honestly a big, big part of how they actually beat RNG. Yeah, I can't wait. This series is gonna be really fun. I think, yeah, like I said, Genji have to target, uh, have to target mid. Maybe EDG could be cheeky and like Syndra Zoe themselves as well on their one twos, and then maybe like drop a NMF ban or something. Lee Sin will be high prio. Um, yeah, it's gonna be pretty hype. I mean, I think that that what you talk about about how EDG just feels like a more complete picture. And yeah, Genji, you're you know you're you're not. I don't want to say grasping straws. I think that's unfair to them. But there's definitely weaknesses. There are holes in the game plan and while that like high level performance makes it hype, it makes it feel like it can be this close semifinal. I think on paper without seeing any of the initial drafts and maybe predictions could change wildly if we come in and scouts like annie we're like god no this is not <laughs> not the takeaway we wanted hover, from that series annie. was it was a showmaker who was hovering annie in yeah, the series it was pretty so, funny yeah. actually um yeah i mean it does feel very edg eg favored predictions for this one before I, we go into i um, go edg for sure um i'm i'm hoping it's going to be really close but my head is kind of like probably 3-1 edg yeah i think 3-0 edg yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just complete it so we're right no matter what. <laughs> Three, two, eating. Genji can still win here. <laughs> no, yeah, Genji have good, have a really good chance, but I just think EDG uh, is. I don't think Genji. They're more complete. I don't team. think Genji have a really good. I think Genji have just a solid chance, but it's not. I don't think it's 50 50. It'll all come through mid, right? Yeah. yeah. If it all comes through mid, if mid falls apart, Genji, you're going to fall apart, I think. Yeah, but yeah. if BDD plays the same level. That he's played this whole time i'm just not convinced he can do it against against scout and against edg but if, if bd plays up to how he's been playing these first nine games i think uh, they could potentially do it it's, then we have the the banger potentially to end all bangers here t1 t1 flashbacks ross rocks skt we're okay so for context we're casting this series so like we're incredible we're all gonna you have to predict three two everyone ha i don't care who you predict yeah. wins, but you have to predict three two mm. we need good energy <laughs> To give us five games. We need to manifest we the need five to man games. Manifest five games. Believe in five games. Mm. So I I initially was was feeling pretty like dumb on one sided. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to be fair, Tom I, I do think T1 has looked better at Worlds than they did largely through the LCK. Um it's just hard to know is that because they're playing not playing against Dom One, who's just like the best, because Dom One has looked pretty flawless uh, for the most part. The, the finals obviously is what most people are going to look at and T1 was winning you know three of the four games early game like they were in good positions Dom one just kind of like outfought them and in some ways it was similar to to the mad series in in how like you know Mac talked about it how they're so good at these setups around objectives they're so good at actually team fighting and denying opportunities um, to close out the game but I was also looking at like I was like, well, I, I've, I've felt like this has been super Dom one sided for the last couple of years in the LCK because Dom one's just been rolling everyone. So I went back and I looked. So Dom one over the last two years is 18 and eight against T1. So it's it's about a 70% win rate, 
right? So it is in fact pretty one-sided. Um, T1 has taken some series, um, you know, some best of threes, but it, it does still feel like unless T1 really has leveled up, you have to favor Dom1 like pretty heavily just based on, on the domestic reasons where Dom1 feels like a much better mid and late game team. They're much better at getting at playing around vision at denying vision, at actually setting up for when they want to play side lanes. T1 feels like they're so good early, but when they are really pushed, like when you watch them play against Dom1 in the number of the series, they really struggle to get side lane vision. They kind of like aren't sure what to do to advance the state of the game in the mid game. They yeah. like get 3,000, 4,000 ahead. You know, Faker goes sides. He doesn't have ward set up. He just gets picked off. Like the game starts to fall apart. Uh, and it feels like that's that's happened a lot of times when, when these teams have fought. I mean, you can see like the thing that I like about the new T1 is how how they are more in the down one Kia in this new era of Korean League of Legends where people aren't just playing more controlled, more like the Gen G style you saw. And in T1 are very indicative of that. You got young players, they're super, super aggressive to a fault, right? You saw it in game one of the series that you're talking about where they're just like really they like Gwen dies topside, Khan finds the, the the kill with the trundle and the Camille onto Kana. And then they like TP back and they just like try to run Canyon down with every TP they have. It's like level two. Mm. They burn everything. Even, even Faker's, Faker's going in. over the wall just trying to auto. Yeah. And obviously like that's a single play. But the thing is, is like that that play style is a double-edged sword against a team like Dawn And they're like, I, I am glad that this is what T1 looks like now. But that as great as it has been and that has gotten to them semifinals and it has to be respected. Like it is still... In the same way we talk about Gen G as like a team with holes, I think T1 are a team with holes. Not not in the sense of individual members. I think individually they're very strong, but like the whole of this, the hole is like the mid to late game. So right? one tiny thing, and I'll let you go. But yeah, sure. I do think you need to be a team that can get ahead early to even have a chance against someone because sure. they're so bulletproof in the mid and late game. Uh, yeah, I was doing like four hours of watching t1 and that one and like researching on uh, on my stream and there's a just talking about draft there's a few important things i think uh leeson is gonna be a big one sure. for canyon right t1 denying that uh, gumuyoshi's aphelios is gonna be banned out by that one you expect showmakers tf uh, and then jason graves top which both these top laners really like to prioritize uh, I think the, the if you look at Damon Mad, the recency of the MSI best of five doesn't apply as much because of the patch difference. But the, the recency of the T1 Damon series does semi-apply. I think bot matchups are similar, barring the, really the Seraphine. Jungle matchups are similar. Viego is kind of rising up and then the LeBlanc casting and stuff. Top lane, all kind of the same if you take out Rennington. Um, I actually think Azale was correct in saying like T1 were winning those early games just over-chasing, over-forcing. Yeah. Um, and they were their own worst enemy at times. Also, they were playing with Teddy two of those games. When they played with Gumayushi, it looked a lot better. So they've had a lot of time to scrim with Gumayushi. So I think they, they must have improved in that in that field. Um, owner looks a lot more comfortable with Worlds as alongside Kana. Um, I think T1 have gotten a lot better since the finals. And I feel like Damon look a little bit unstoppable, but I'm kind of favoring T1 in this series. Um, I feel like it's going to be a 3-2 to T1. I could be wrong. Maybe Damon's just going to 3-0 them, but I really do feel like it's a 3-2 to T1. Um, I think T1 haven't really shown too many signs of weakness. I mean, they've shown flexibility in draft. They've shown that they can play for both sides. Gumayushi is having a fantastic tournament. I think the biggest thing that's going to haunt T1 in this series is nerves because three of their players are 18. And a lot of the T1 vlogs, which I watch behind the scenes, and even their voice comes, some of the players are like, hey, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, you know, I'm like, I'm scared or stuff like this. And they get in their own heads a little bit sometimes just watching them. But then them they got Papa Faker there. And they got Papa Faker, Faker next to him, next to them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Walls dive into your twos at level three. The, Sorry, the game is so funny to me. The behind the scenes just, yeah, they, they do get in their own heads a little bit. But I I, I think they're both... The, but their bot lane is better than Damon's bot lane. I think sure. Gumayushi Carrier is much stronger. Carrier is a really, really good support. Carrier is the best support, I think, at the tournament. 
Yeah, curious. Yeah, Kyrie. next to Mako still left. Yeah, I think he's probably the best. So I think bot lane will be really important. Uh, Kana has shown a lot of flexibility. Owner has also shown flexibility in picking Poppy. Sure. And Faker is always flex. So the flexibility top side, along with the winning bot, which I would favor, um, I think T1 has has this series. I I think that. I think the big struggle here is like like as always when you're when you're comparing these matchups where we haven't seen these teams play in the context of this tournament. Yeah. I think it's always a little bit there's always so many variables that it's I think any yeah. prediction you make is fair, right? Yeah. I think close series is ultimately what I'm expecting, but for me it's like well down one right now are you know, they're 9-0. And we see in the mad games that they're not infallible in the early game. That they, they can, can bleed. Make mistakes, <laughs> that they can, they can bleed. And that's important. But you can also see their bot lane stepping up, to, to your to your point, right? Like, maybe Ghost and Barrel are a little bit more equipped because they have been performing better in this tournament. But Gumiushi's yeah. been playing well. But also, the top side for T1 in general has looked so much better. T1 as a whole have looked so much better. So it really is, to me, this kind of arms race question of... I believe Damwon have probably are playing very well in this tournament. How much have they improved? I don't know. I've clearly can see that T1 have improved 100%. Yes, but is that enough to be Damwon? Ultimately, is is kind of the root of of my struggle. And the, the one loss that T1 have had this Worlds was to EDG, right? But yeah. in this EDG game, they're playing Ziggs Shen bot lane. Like this has no no interest whatsoever in winning that lane. They're playing TF Shen double globals for a top side, which already fell apart in the early game. So it's like, I know they got stomped in that game. But if you just ignore that game, every single other one of their games, it never really felt like T1 was losing the game. They were just from start to finish in full control. Um, and I think that if they don't pick Ziggs, Shen, bot lane, they actually have something they can pressure with to get carry out of lane, then they have a chance. It's the only possible way they could lose yeah, if they like, pick what, Ziggs, what, what Shen, bot they they're, they're playing like Shen, TF into, into Silas, Leona and stuff. Oh man, I didn't like it at all. And then the Jace, Graves matchup, I think it's like... Uh, Kamru, who I was talking to about it, but now Graves is like decent into Jace and yeah, also yeah. has a little bit more response. So... Um, I don't know. I'm a big draft guy. I think there's a lot of draft things that could go on in this series. Yeah. Uh, from jungle, mid, top lane, Kana's cannon has been unreal, but so has Khan's, right? But if Jace is banned, then Kennen's high prior. Are we going to get first pick Kennen's, right? <laughs> Are we going to get first pick uh, Nars? I, I don't know. I, I like know. listening I think to it's, Spiral. <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's, it's just so exciting because, you know, there's there's like two sides of the coin, I think, to being a, a brand new player to, to this kind of pressure. Like, you know, you're talking about, ah, oh, there's nerfs for T1 because they're 18-year-old players. But I also think you can kind of like learn more and learn faster sometimes when you're coming into this event because sure. they've never been here before, right? Dom one has. So I do think that the longer that they are at Worlds, the, long, the more stage games that they play, T1 gets more benefit out of that because they haven't, they have these players that haven't been here before, right? So there's, yeah. there's additional comfort that you're gaining every time you step on that stage and have a good game. Um, I just find it really hard to predict against Dom one because as much as T1 has an incredible early game, as much as, as, you know, they, they have a lot of individual strength, they have flexibility in draft, they have these incredible individual pieces. I always felt like they had that in the LCK, but Dalmon is just so much better, I feel like, in the mid game and in the late game, around setting up for objectives, around playing through sides. T1 has always had these holes where, and it's not even just about the young players. Like, when you look back to the finals, I, I re really remember the Rise game from Faker. I want to say it was, like, game four, maybe? Um, where like Faker had, had a really good early game on Rise and then he's just like getting picked on sides constantly, yep. right? And this is something that T1 has struggled with, I think, when they're facing really top level competition constantly. They are not necessarily sure how to advance the game. And I think you could see it in their Herald stuff where like, no, it's kind of been less of a meme at Worlds because it's just, yeah, they've just been winning every time. Eight minute Herald every time. Exactly, right? like they just go and it's the same thing with like with Baron, right? They just like they're just going to show up to the objective and they're going to five v five you because they're not necessarily sure how to like close out the game other than that. And I and I think that we saw that with Mad versus Dom One, Dom One was able to like 
overcome some of these really difficult situations because of how well they play in, in these scenarios. And I think similarly, I really do favor them against T1 in the same way. I think they're much better in the late game. I think they're much better in the mid game. Their vision setup is better. Their, you know, their dragon control is better. And I worry for T1 in the in those scenarios, right? Like I could easily see T1 getting ahead in lots of the games as they did in the finals and then just throwing the leads again, right? It's like a similar thing with, we talked about this with RNG previously, where it was like, you know, you were so impressed with RNG's early game, but they had had thrown some games in the LPL, right? And that's kind of like why they fell out. And, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to make the finals. It's like, while sometimes that won't happen, it, it can be a real weakness that you have to look at, right? Inconsistency, like why do these throws yeah. happen? Because the teams aren't sure how to advance the state of the game. They're not sure how to close it out cleanly. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, I think, very good way to summarize it and, and to look at it because that's it's hard to believe in that capacity when you have yet to see it. Like you can see the individual performance are better, but they were winning lane phases already anyway, yeah. right? And it still wasn't enough. So I think that to me is like the strongest argument for or the biggest piece of the puzzle that's missing, why it makes it hard for me, and I think probably anyone to predict um, T1 with 100% confidence and why it feels like Don Juan Kio does feel like the safe bet yeah. despite the incredible improvement and the incredible performance that T1 has had over the course of the series. So I'm I'm pretty firmly in the 3-2 Don Juan Kia camp. I might even be a 3-1 if I wasn't really praying for this best of five. No, but it has, I want to, be five. Five. It has yeah. to be five. Can we talk about the storylines, man? Khan's last dance, Faker versus... <sighs> coma uh like the 18 year olds trying to show their redemption arc the world champions versus the best team ever like how many more storylines do you want in this there's so many it's actually probably the the like most it feels like there's so they're potentially the most epic 5v5 like 5v5 best of five you could like ever have rematch right of the finals it's yeah i mean it's a rematch of the finals i i just think faker versus showmaker alone is like so hype to me <laughs> it's so it's good. like I love how Showmaker is getting really confident and is yes. actually like spitting fire in these interviews and stuff. I now. want to do a smack talk one before the, before the semis. I would love that. that. How cool would that oh be? my God. But Sh Showmaker coming in and I think it was going into quarters, right? You know, he's, I'm the best mid laner in the world. We don't lose. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, damn. And, and you know, and he's going up against, against Faker. And to me, it's like, until proven otherwise, Showmaker is, is the best now. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Faker is the best ever. And so I just that think applies it's, to both the team as well, not just the mid laners, but both teams. Yeah, yeah. so I think it's, it's so ever. cool that you have that, right? It's yeah. it's this kind of collision of history. And if you're if you're going based off like, oh well, of course the best now should win, but like, goddamn, T one is so good. And if if they win, I mean, F Faker's legacy is just safe no matter what. Like he's he's the goat, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, and T one obviously they won so many times as SKT, their legacy is safe. But like, holy shit, if you beat Dom one in this that's unreal if t1 win this series no. knock out that one this is the the post-game interview if because faker for his entire career has been the most polite man on the face of the planet we i've been waiting for years for faker to pop off my dreams he gets in that interview oh you know what imagine translation what he, imagine he, said he goes this. he goes you know what like heard someone said they were the best mid laner in the world <laughs> had to put him no, back no. in their place He's like oh it's all i dream every night i just want a little faker no, trash talk give me a give me a little a morsel you know the conor mcgregor one where he's like you should have killed me when you had the chance because now i'm back to kill you and your whole family you know faker said that can you imagine i can just imagine you know, he's up on stage and talks like faker how does it feel how are you feeling right now and he's just like I'm the greatest. And just <laughs> drops the mic and walks off stage. <laughs> rolls. Rolls one more time. Does a double one. He rolls. He chomps some broccoli and just out of there. Peace out.
Oh man. Okay. And I've been the greatest. <laughs> and anyway. I'm still the greatest. And then 20 years from now, there's just Faker sitting in a chair and it's like with the flashbacks in a Netflix series. And he's like, yeah, I lost two years in a row. And I took that three years in a row. And I took that I personally. Took that yeah. personally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, absolute banger. I'm absolute so excited. Absolute banger. That's the matchup. That's Saturday. Sunday will be uh, Gen G versus EDG. Also a hype matchup. But obviously we have our sights set on T1 versus Damwon Kia. We'll be casting that one. Uh, check it out this weekend. If you're missing semifinals, you're what are you doing? Why are you what listening to this? With you? Stop listening to this and start investing your time into semifinals. Like, I know we're entertaining, but goddamn. But we're on that, too. We're on that, too. Yeah. Come for that. All right. This has been episode Get it together, three. Listener. Uh, okay, Diaphoria. It's Thursday today. It'll be Friday when this comes out, oh, okay. I think. Or Happy Friday. <laughs> it's Friday day. You're like, where am I right now? What, what, is, what is happening? <laughs> what are we know. doing? Is this Faker versus Showmaker thing Do I still real? get my pillow? I don't know. <laughs> hey, RNG, where you at, man? Anyway, Showmaker versus Faker. This has been episode three. We'll see you guys later. Peace.